Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, you're very welcome along to this week's edition of the Group Chat. I am news correspondent with Virgin Media News, Richard Chambers. I am joined, as always, in studio by fellow news correspondent, Zara King. Hello, how are you? Political correspondent, Gavin Riley. Hey, Richard, how are you? How's your week going? I'm good. We're we're laughing instinctively because of how many times we had to record last Last week's intro, in which we all had systemic laughing fits, uh, footage of which we will never allow anyone to see ever again. I'm just going to say, look what happens when I'm in the chair. Professionalism. Professionalism. Down the line, dedication. I'm on duty, we're just laughing all the time um, I want to say I put my tree up guys Did very you? excited Did I got you? the tree went for my authentic Christmas tree experience and I have it up right. full of Instagram stories with Taylor Swift Christmas tree farm soundtracks and everything. yeah, yeah. Yeah, lovely, lovely yeah. basic Christmas thank Love you everyone that. thank you <laughs> um, one thing I was covering this week um, which got a lot of reaction was um, the nurses and midwives mm. the INMO um, they put out a survey of their recently graduated nurses as in 2022's batch of graduates. Mm. Uh, they did a very detailed survey on what life is like for the future of our health service. Uh, it wasn't pretty reading mm. as many of us might have suspected. We talked a lot about the brain drain, yeah. the exodus yeah. Yeah. in the health service. How, how the grass is greener. In grass the, is greener. Once world. again, we come back to it. Mm. Uh, effectively, two thirds of newly qualified uh, nurses and midwives are pretty much uh, deciding whether or not to fly the coop and are leaning towards let's get out of here. Mm. Uh, 33% of the ones who are based around Dublin, Cork, Limerick, sort of the major cities are like, I'm going to have to move back home uh, because I can't afford to live in the major cities in Ireland, which is a damning indictment, seems as that's where all of our major hospitals are. Uh, so really to exemplify this entire point, I was speaking to Louise Corcoran, who is a recently qualified uh, midwife working in Hollis Street, the National Maternity Hospital. She's moving back home to Galway to live with her parents. Such wow. is the situation in Dublin with rent. She comes to the end of her lease. So here's a little bit of her story. I'm trying to get my best experience that I can for my own career, but it's just, it's the rent is too much. Like I'm going to have to move home. Like obviously, like there's going to be less experience. So I'm not too happy about that. Like I might have to end up just immigrating like to gain experience like because I just can't live in Dublin. I chose Dublin to do my degree because obviously it was going to be the most experience and everything for me and like the best for my career but like it's just it's just impossible at the minute like I had to move out and we're commuting up and down there's girls in my class are in similar situations like they're just gonna have to go elsewhere and find other things to do yeah there's two of the girls in particular that are leaving the country straight away um first of all like to gain experience for better staffing ratios and um just like the cost of living and like Obviously, they want to do a bit of an adventure, but there is girls in my year that are, like, are struggling to find accommodation in Dublin, like that they would have had it when they were students, but like it's finding way more difficult now. You're on waiting lists and to even go view, and then you're not contacted. You're just kind of left in the left in the lurking. To be honest, there's actually nothing they're doing for us. Like there's actually a couple of girls in there that are moving over to England to try and get the London weighted pay, which makes much more sense that they get an increase in pay just because they're renting in London, which would make sense here in Dublin, considering the rent is like a lot more in Dublin. 
Yeah, I worry about it because obviously like anything that's complex is sent up here to Dublin. Um, you're trying to learn about it, like obviously the senior staff, they're like going on their own adventures too. Like, you know, they'll be changing into different areas and everything like that. So like the new graduates are really trying to learn, just can't afford to live up here to learn. So like they're just going to have the basic skills midwifery that would be provided down the country, which would be unfortunate. Like, you know, you want, you want complex care and you want to be learning loads like when you're doing all this. What's really interesting about that is she talks about that pay of, of living in London. Mm. And a couple of weeks ago, um, I was speaking to the new uh, interim chief executive of the HC about this. And I was saying, do you think it's a good idea to offer people, you know, an allowance to live in the bigger cities? And he was like, well, I don't really know if it is. And I was like, oh, it seems quite obvious, though. No, and he said, well, we'd have to have a conversation about it. We'd have to look into it. And I was kind of shocked, actually, in that exchange. Why are you shocked? Thinking, like, this is how, this, this is how these things work. Like, I know, but he was, like, he was like, I'm not sure if it is a good idea. And I was like, but, but surely not it's like, a good it's idea. classic public services where he can't like, say on, to the, being on the record any policy it's a good idea. being potentially a good idea on the yeah. roof. There um, must be a report secondary report yes. oh. and then another have, one then we have to refer that report to a task force and the task force will investigate whether he was like oh where would we give the extra money to and I was like well, well the place is. where it's really yeah. expensive to live <laughs> but like well there, but there, there, the counterpoint to that would be is it all like is there anywhere in the country really that's, where it's that's not expensive like, to live to point, me, like, yeah, no and actually point, it, yeah. it, it isn't just the affordability once again it is mm. the availability again because yeah. this is what's happening is that nurses and actually there's a lot of people who are on in touch with me who again first year or second year out of um, nursing, their, their degree programme, they're finding their leases come, come to an end. Yeah. That is the worst situation to be in because you are then at the mercy of whatever the going advertised rate is. And obviously yeah. we've seen how much that's increased. Yeah. But the amount of messages I got over the, over the course of the week, I'm going to Dubai, I'm going to England, I'm seeing advertising on the bus outside my hospital where I'm working in Cork yeah. saying mm. I'm off to Australia or to New Zealand. Yeah. Canada is aggressively pursuing nurses mm. in Ireland. 100% yeah. as well. Yeah. People sending me, you know, screenshots of the ads that they're getting on yeah. Instagram of come work in, you know, New South Wales in our hospital system or in mm. Queensland. Can you blame anybody? Yeah. I mean, no, you can't, but it's absolutely, I mean, like we are so screwed if we lose these people. Like, I mean, I cannot stress that enough. I mean, I, I, that sounds like a terrible, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, we're talking about safe staffing levels and having a certain number of people on shift in a certain point in time. And like, we're not even meeting that in most cases in a lot of hospitals up and in the country now. And if they're going to start leaving in 2023... Like it's like, not good. Uh, it's such preposterous. Like I know it's a real cliche, but like there's so little joined up thinking because mm. we've invested so much in the country in the last couple of decades in like the quality of our college education in the, these kinds of areas. Like some of the facilities in RCSI or even some of the, the newer buildings in UCD and Trinity and elsewhere. Like they're incredible facilities and they, they get the best of training. And the country invests an enormous amount in producing these graduates who are so well trained. Now, I'm not going to say anything great about their placements because we all remember from, from COVID times mm. the debate there were about whether you're supposed to be doing a lot of what you're doing on placement when you're actually on placement. There's no debate about but, this. The but, system mm. they went into was brutal. But they, yeah. they come out so brilliantly uh, trained and prepared for the workforce mm. and then we just basically can't make the work the, the working life tenable for them. Wave them and off. they have to go. And it's just Crazy. Quick one for you, Gavin, before we, we wrap up this one. Um, teachers are actually another group who a lot of people were getting in touch with mm. as well because mm. they are being 
you know, they're looking at the, the faraway hills and they're saying they ever look pretty green as well. But yeah. the government has done something which might actually put a stop to that. Yeah, Quite controversial. Well, even at, at this point, as we're recording this, that there's still some ambiguity as to the exact nature of what they're doing. But the big thing that the, the headline measure is that they're looking at uh, cancelling or even undoing some current career breaks. So anyone who is currently qualified and a registered member of the teaching council and is qualified to teach, they'll be like, here, instead of you doing some other career, Back you come to the classroom, uh, which would include the likes of Norma Foley, the Minister for Education, who is currently on a, on a career break. Um, now, the issue with this is that there's a lot of people who take career breaks. I think the, the current figure is, uh, is it something like 20,000 people who are currently on career breaks? But the vast majority of them are working in other areas of the education system. So like the, the state body, which is responsible for professional development of teachers, is entirely staffed with people who are on succumbent. The inspectorate, like the Kigra who goes to your primary school is someone who's mm. on on a career break because mm. they're being seconded over. So if you, like, it might be a good idea to return all these people back to the classroom, but then all the other support functions that need to be done, which are currently done by qualified teachers on career breaks, just can't be done. So you're robbing for Peter to pay Paul, really. Nice point to wrap that one up, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Zara, a lot of concern over the course of the last number of days, particularly in the UK, but now growing here as well, about Strep A. What is Strep A? Yeah, so look, so Strep A is a condition or an infection that affects uh, many people, predominantly children. Um, there's been a number of confirmed cases in Ireland. So the latest figures from the HC, um, the HPSC, showing that there are 55 confirmed cases in Ireland now, of which 14 of those are in children aged under 10. And this is compared to 22 cases in children aged under 10 in the same period of 2019. Now, uh, sadly, today, a confirmed death in a child under the age of 10 in the east of the country. Uh, that was confirmed by the Chief Medical Officer, Breda Smith. You can take a listen to what she had to say. Well, unfortunately, I can confirm that there has been one invasive group A step uh, strep associated death here in Ireland in a child. And uh, this is a very sad event. So I would like to extend my deepest sympathy to the family of the bereaved. As you know, I don't comment on individual cases, but with regards to group A strep, I think it's important that there will be a lot of anxiety. So it's important for parents to know that the majority of cases of group A strep are mild infections and can be treated with antibiotics. Chief Medical Officer there saying that most of these are mild infections, mm. treat them with antibiotics. But what are the things the parents should be looking at? Be looking out for. So according to the HPSA, they're saying that particularly in children, it can be a presentation that's quite similar to scarlet fever. But a number of the other symptoms would include things like uh, fever, a raised rash, um, which can feel kind of rough to the touch, like sandpaper. They're saying a sore throat and a swollen tongue. Now, I suppose like crucially what they're saying is that like the vast majority of cases will be treated with antibiotics and people will get better. But obviously for parents in terms of knowing your own children, so we're going to hear from Dr. Neve Lynch in a moment, who's a paediatrician based in Cork. She's saying, look, you know your own children. You'll know yourself if you see your children um, being particularly lethargic. Perhaps they're off their food. If there's further symptoms that to trust your parental instinct, if you mm. really feel that's essential and, and take your child to the emergency department, you can take a listen to Neve, who's explaining that um, the reason we're seeing this now is because obviously for a lot of cases, people have been covering and following a lot of measures in terms of hand washing, social distancing that, you know, people have become a bit more lax and that infections are now spreading because of that. Well, people are just mixing more than they have for the last two years. And the way that group A strep is spread is through droplets, coughs and sneezes and from surfaces. So if you think about a crash situation where a child will put something into their mouth, put it down and then another child might pick it up. So hand hygiene is very important. If your child is sick, you probably shouldn't send them to crash because they may have something that they're going to spread around. So it's really because there's more mixing. But still, the numbers of group A strep are lower this year than they were 
pre-pandemic. So it's not back up to what we would have considered normal levels in the past just yet. Gavin, there's been a lot of media coverage on this and understandably so, mm. given you know that it involves children predominantly. But I think it's very important to stress this is something which is predominantly, in the overwhelming majority of cases, mm. very low risk. And, and it's, it's worth just reflecting on that last point we just heard from the clip a minute mm. ago as well, that if the, the case numbers now are actually lower overall in an aggregate, like nationwide basis, than they were uh, three years ago pre-COVID, which, which is an interesting just reminder that sometimes these things just have different profiles or they just kind of emerge in different ways. But that broadly speaking, for most people, um, it is not much to worry about. And if you see some symptoms, just to intervene quickly and then make sure that the antibiotics are administered in time so that you can sort of deal with it. And um, What I think is actually also interesting is that the preventative measures, the ones that we heard so much about two and a half years ago, are actually the ones that seem to apply now that over time with the nature of COVID we sort of moved from this is a thing that lives in surfaces to this is a thing that lives in the air but something bacterial lives on surfaces it lives on your hands if you sneeze and you, you sneeze onto a tissue get rid of the tissue don't just put it away or mm. if you sneeze onto your hand go and wash your hand because it is the sort of thing that lives on surfaces and it's better to contain or it's better gotten rid of if you just abide by all the hygiene stuff that we all got so tremendously bored about in the springtime of 2020 but it all still works now. I mean we were also kind of neurotic in a lot of ways though weren't we in terms of the I mean I'm still I'm still a bit of a hand sanitizer Addict, mm. I'm going to be honest. still have the car full of it. Yeah, I do actually, yeah. yeah. I do, I still have to get out of your But I think too. before the pandemic, I was a hand sanitizer <laughs> freak. You were. You are one of the, I wouldn't I say, was. freak is a very strong word. I would know, but I would, say that I, I would say that I was kind of, I come from a long line of people who are a little bit like, do you wash your hands? Like OCD mm. about hand washing. Because I think I've always been that kind Did of person. Did you always sing happy birthday to you twice through the full routine? No, I think again, I always felt like I was a really thorough hand washer. So I don't know if I kind of really. Which of course is, is why you never yeah. got it. Yeah, I haven't had yeah. it. Like, I haven't. I've, I'm sure it's coming to me. Like, I can I cannot believe I've not had it. Uh, no, right. I'm. I'm not a hand sanitizer freak, but I haven't. I've managed to touch wood to, 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 to get by as well. As well. Can um, we stop calling people freaks on the show, please? No, no, no. But I, I, I'm openly saying that, like, my hand sanitizing is excessive. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm owning it. It's fine. Um, but yeah, look, I think just to go back to that point that you make, though, Gavin. Like, crucially, people will hear strep A, and I think it's just you've touched on it there as well, Richard. Like, it's not something that we should be mass panicking about. Yeah. Really, is mm-hmm. kind of what we're getting from all of the medical experts. We're not medical experts, obviously, but. The general consensus is don't have a meltdown about this. Good. Well, that's something that is yeah. worth bearing in mind because you will see headlines everywhere. So, yeah, just a bit of perspective, I suppose, on that. But um, sticking on the general sort of um, health um, perspective of things as well, we have obviously on this podcast over the last number of weeks focused a lot uh, about you know the legacy of Vicky Phelan. Mm. Uh, that was called up again in the doll mm. as of late, Gavin. Um, what is the patient safety bill and what's wrong with it? So the patient safety bill is a piece of legislation which has now been going through the doll for four years under successive ministers for health and successive governments and it's generally aimed at being something of an overhaul for uh, patient rights and, and how a lot of those things are dealt with. And in the light of Vicky Phelan's death, there's now a renewed urgency to get that fully passed. And the plan was to get it passed by Christmas and to make some changes to it so that it was more robust when it came to open disclosure. Now, regular listeners and viewers will know what open disclosure is. But for those who don't, it's basically this idea that if there's been some kind of error or oversight in your medical care, that they have a duty to let you know about it so that you don't have a circumstance as happened in the case of Vicky Phelan, where Cervical Check became aware of of a misreading or alleged misreading of a slide and it was passed down to um, medics and consultants and the likes, but it was never transmitted to the patient. The idea is, let's never do that again. Let's make it binding that you tell the patient. The problem that arises now is that actually, as we record this, it's due to be debated in the dawn in a few hours. 
there's only two hours set aside to debate it because the government is so keen to get it on the books mm. ASAP. Mm. But now there's a dispute around whether what they're doing actually passes what they're calling literally the Vicky Phelan test in mm. that it seems, and this is open to interpretation, it's a bit technical, so I won't get too into the weeds of it. But it seems, based on the wording of what the government has published, that this might only apply in instances where a woman actively seeks a review of her own cancer screening slides and her own sort of history in that program. So if it were the case that a misreading of a slide were stumbled across during some sort of quality audit or any kind of other assurance along the way, that there wouldn't necessarily be a binding duty on someone to tell the patient that actually there was a mistake earlier in the timeline. Now, the government would say, well, actually, all those other quality assurances, they're always done in a sort of an anonymous way that you never, when you're doing a quality assurance, or you send it out for second opinion. You don't have names on the slides. So if there's an error discovered, you actually can't attach it to someone. Mm. But then others are saying, well, that wasn't always the case. That, you know, in instances like some of those who have since become yeah. high profile cases of cervical cancer, it wasn't anonymous. There was a subsequent review done. They discovered an error. They passed it on. And lo and behold, then this was the sort of thing that should have been communicated. So there is an ongoing debate now as to whether even the government will even try to rush this through. There's some people, and the Taoiseach today in the Dáil seemed very open-minded that he would rather have this done correctly than done quickly. Mm. So there is a chance now that the government might end up sort of slightly long-fingering this, which is unfortunate that it might There's mean... There's ups and downs to that, isn't there? Like, I mean, obviously, if you're pushing this further and further down the road, however you handle this there are going to be associated issues. If it gets pushed beyond two weeks' time, then you're you're getting into a Christmas recess. You could potentially have a new Minister for Health. We don't know how the reshuffle is going to go. Mm. And and if there's a new Minister in or there's any sort of revised priorities, it is one of those things that kind of slides a little bit down the agenda again. Part of the reason why it's supposed to be happening this week is because the Minister who was in situ at the time of Vicky Phelan's death said, I want to get this done before Christmas. Mm. Those priorities all change if it does slide a little bit further down the line. But it seems as if we're caught in this dilemma where you either act quickly or you act correctly but you may not be possible to do both. So a lot of people kind of they are put mm-hmm. off by how they feel that this whether or not it does you know do justice to Vicky Veal and, and the legacy of, of the work that people in 221 yeah. plus have done. So I mean what, what's, what's your take on that? Yeah I mean I think it's very clear from people like Gabriel Scali when he published the report two weeks ago that he just thinks it's outrageous that we're still sort of like four years on and it's still not being dealt with. He just thinks that you know I, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago that even the use of language about whether people should or would be told yeah. that the fact yeah. that you know it's not a definite yes people should be communicated with and told and like when you talk about that you know the way the change would be now if they were to go ahead right now like that would have meant that Vicky still in her example as a case wouldn't have found out actually so so really it's not acceptable you know but then as you say like it's taken so much time now you know like it's it needs to be addressed as a matter of urgency. That's the bottom line here. Yeah. And everyone within the 221 Plus group would say that, um, you know, this is one of these things that should have been done years ago. You know, like yeah. it, it's to say another two weeks, you might say, well, it's taken this long. So what's another two weeks? Let's get it right. And yeah. that, and I see yeah. that argument and I do think that there's, there's something to be said about that. But um, in the meantime, you know, like there needs to be a cultural change. And that's what it comes down to. Is like, this is a policy change, but this is, there's a greater issue. And the likes of Lorraine Walsh has spoken very openly about that. There's a much greater issue around cultural change and sort of, you know, like people feeling like they have an obligation to be open to people with, with their patients and having that communication. That's a, I think that's actually going to be a bigger shift even than um, the change of the policy, actually. I know I know we want to move on, but just briefly, it's worth reflecting as well that the government actually thought it had this nut cracked in March mm. when they were dealing with the previous version of the same bill. 
And it was put to Stephen Donnelly at the time in the health committee that actually this doesn't seem to meet the tests that the two to one plus group would put down. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know what, you're right. I'm going to go away and work on it and come back. Now he's come back nine months later and there's still dispute about whether it meets the test. And if you long finger it anymore, then how much further into the long grass might it go? Yeah, that's not great, is it? I mean, if you are dealing with what's been handed to you and you say, oh, I'm going to get this fixed and we can't push this back any further, but then it comes back three quarters of a year later. Mm. Mm. And it's still, it's just still not dealt with. Like, yeah. so. Welcome to the Oireachtas. That's how it works. Yeah. Uh, Gavin, another thing which um, the government were talking about today, uh, new sort of ways in terms of handling Airbnbs. Yeah. Because this has been such a, it's such, such a bugbear when you look at the, the overall situation with regarding, you know, the rental market or the housing market more broadly. People will often point to Airbnbs and the government's were like, eh, mm. What, what can, can we, we do? do? Well, we're, we're a tourism-reliant country, so we can't totally clamp down on Airbnbs because tourism is one of our biggest industries, so we can't shut it down. People may have a little bit of deja vu hearing about this because they may remember during the summertime, the government was like, we're going to pass laws now to clamp down on the, uh, the unauthorised use of Airbnbs. You're going to need to have planning permission. And they did legislate for that for a couple of months. And then they actually annulled their legislation because it turns out that they didn't give the EU enough of a heads up in the meantime. So they very quietly deactivated it. And now they have to go back to the drawing board again. But what they found at the time is that although you now have to have planning permission to use a house or a flat for Airbnb, it was basically impossible to enforce that. Because if you go to Airbnb and you look for a property, um, you don't get the air code or the precise address of that property until you've basically paid for it. So if you see somewhere advertised, how do you know for certain whether that's one of the ones that has planning permission or not? Uh, so they're not going to make you display your air code, but now in a couple of months' time, uh, you will have to have registered with Fulcher Ireland and they'll give you a registration number, sort of like a shorthand, and you'll have to have that. How many houses air- do they think will this free up? They think 12,000. 12,000 well, like, Airbnbs in Ireland. Well, there's there's much more than that. But oh, they they more, think yeah. that uh, by mm. clamping down on this, that you would bring 12,000 homes back to long-term use. Their estimation of that is based on the fact that this was also done in Amsterdam, where it apparently resulted in 19,000. And they've just pro rata got more properties used. Wow. The only problem with that comparison is that I think Amsterdam did it during the COVID lockdowns. So oh, yeah. there was naturally going to be more homes returned to long-term use when there was no tourism going on. It'd be interesting to know how many of those 12,000 are occupied on a weekly basis and how many just like lie vacant week yeah. after mm. week. Yeah. So it is one thing the government is doing, but now it means that they have to go back to the drawing board again and go back and legislate for it. And it will, and it will, like t- an and it will take effect in March, but then households may have six months to register, which means that it might not take effect until September, which is after the next Airbnb tourism season. So Sure, only how many at least a decade into a housing crisis at this point. Trots the rush. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Well, we're now down to the business end of the World Cup in Qatar uh, into the quarterfinal stages at this point. And for the most part, and I think you'll agree with this, Zara, mm. as much as you, you know, are allergic to the concept of World Cups, yeah. a lot of the early coverage 
of some of the human rights issues, some mm. of the broader aspects of things. That sort of faded away, as some people predicted, as the tournament sort of got into it. Yeah, it has, but I still feel like it's, I mean, we're hearing about it, but definitely not as much as we were in the beginning. I do think, look, as you said, the sport kind of took over. And look, you know, people are right to enjoy the sport to some degree as well. I mean, I know the penalty shootout yesterday went down really well amongst uh, the news. <laughs> your well, well, the, new, the penalty <laughs> shootout happened right as the news was starting yesterday, which was actually quite unfortunate timing. Um but yeah, so look, I mean, people have sort of started to enjoy the sport. But yeah, the reality is that, you know, what's going on in Qatar is still a very much ongoing thing. But there's very few journalists still covering it. Very few, I've noticed. And actually, that, that number has been dwindling, I suppose, mm. again, as things have gone on. And also as people are embedded in, in what they're doing and people are over there for the most part to cover what's happening mm. on the pitch. Mm. And when the stuff that's happening on the pitch is as dramatic as it has been, it's very hard to find column inches for what's happening with migrant workers or LGBTQ uh, rights or women's rights and all these sort of things. But one person who has been doing that and has been keeping that going, actually a really fascinating piece which went out in the London Independent uh, just on Wednesday about, you know, the invisibles, as he calls them, these workers who make everything run in Qatar. Mm. They are the overwhelming population now of the country of Qatar, but they have been shunned and hidden away. And that is Miguel Delaney. I started, we, I was chatting to him just a short time ago. I started by asking him, effectively, how well is this being run as a World Cup? This World Cup wouldn't be possible without um, a, a migrant labour system that everyone from the UN to um, to the migrant workers themselves to virtually every single human rights group compares to a quote-unquote modern slavery. And I, I don't use the quotes facetiously there. I think it's because of the power of the words. Uh, and, and even within that, the UN special report on the subject pointed to how there is actual, there's racism. I mean, first of all, the system itself is racist, but there's even racism within the system where um, workers from, from sub-Saharan Africa are treated worse. There's pay in relation to, um, in, in relation to your passport. Uh, I mean, I mean, so that, that context alone is basically why this World Cup should have been a complete write-off for the start. Because even if you stand back and actually look what this World Cup is, and I realise I'm getting away from the, the initial question, but I, I think it, it does all come back around. I mean, what this World Cup is essentially, at a distinctive moment in, in human history, a family, because that's what the, the ruling elite of Qatar are, had essentially unlimited wealth to do anything. And that could have resented, I don't know, desalinating water uh, for for the for the global good to you know medical advances, and instead they pumped two hundred and twenty billion into staging the frivolity of a football tournament in the desert. And look, I'm a football reporter. Football has a, an immense social good, but given the the cost of this World Cup, it, it's it's astounding, really. It's 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 a pretty obnoxious absurdity. Every human rights group would have said that while this World Cup it has so many elements to criticise, some good could actually come of it if football uses its leverage to affect real change in Qatar. Now, while Qatar and FIFA would commonly point to how laws have been changed, like Kafal has been abolished, the reality on the ground is most of these practices that deny workers basic rights remain. If you turn up here, it's very easy to have a good time. And certainly as a journalist, it's all run smoothly, uh, I, some of the, to be fair, some of those concerns have gone away, but you just have to look round. Um, and my, migrant workers, they, they prop the place up, they run the place, they're everywhere. It couldn't happen without them. And they get less than gratitude for this. They're denied the most basic rights. And I wrote this in the piece I did for The Independent. There are some times when I'm kind of left wondering, 
it was this is is this sort of what it was like in in the deep south in America during slavery? In the sense that you have this huge underclass who are just there to serve people, and in, and because of issues like um, paying back these loans they have to take out to pay these initial fees, they're actually illegal to work in Qatar in the first place. They're they're indentured in that way. Um, and they're there. They're inherent to everything. They're inherent to, the, to how this World Cup is run. But it does feel to a lot of people they're invisible. I think anyone listening to that would be struck by the parallel that Miguel has drawn there between current day Qatar and hosting a World Cup in effectively, you know, segregated America in the Deep South in the, mm-hmm. in the Jim Crow era and how that would effectively be the same thing. Now, that's almost, that is absolutely, certainly going to be a controversial thing for him to say, particularly as he is very much in Qatar yeah. and getting backlash uh, for things that he is reporting on. Uh, it's admirable bravery, though. Not an easy thing to do. No, it's really admirable. Well, though. One thing that I thought was telling about that, because I know there's actually a little bit of a dispute among the journalists there as to whether they feel like they're even qualified to speak about those sort of parallels, because... Gotcha. Well, no, what, some of the reasons why they, why they say it is because if they're living in, if they're basically living in hotels for a month yeah. and they're in one FIFA-sanctioned hotel and then they're on a FIFA-sanctioned bus to a FIFA-sanctioned media centre and then they're on another bus to a FIFA-sanctioned venue, that, that they, don't, they, they, they don't get to see be. the real the yeah. real Qatar. But Miguel w- was making the point in the call that, you know, because he's not in a hotel, they're, they're in a rented house, so they're going to a supermarket. So they see a little bit more of ordinary life, if you like. Than, than others do. So though others may be saying, which are, what do you know? You're only going through the, the FIFA media cycle. At least he has some chance to peek outside the bubble and see what it might be like. Yeah, and he did talk to us about what his experience of life outside that bubble was like. And we'll come to that in a second. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that you have seen journalists and broadcasters in the West who have taken it upon themselves to effectively go and say, this is brilliant. Uh, this is a great place for a World Cup. All the all the stadiums are beside each other, and there's a lovely atmosphere because they banned alcohol. And it's like, you, it's quite are a, you yeah. anyway. Yeah. You know, are you in any way conflicted by anything was, that you're doing? Yeah, here? and I was going to ask you, obviously, because again, both of you are more far more across this than me. But I suppose another question is: Has any of the coverage, the likes of Miguel and their work, has it made any difference in terms of addressing those human rights issues? Has it actually moved the dial <laughs> at all? Or? Nothing has materially changed. Yeah. I think one thing that's actually fascinating is that there apparently now is a major row between the Supreme Committee, which is the body responsible for delivering the World Cup Supreme in Qatar. Supreme Committee. Uh, even even the name <laughs> is 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 interesting. Um, it sounds like the no, Empire the, from Star. There is an enormous row between uh, the Supreme Committee and the BBC, and in particular Gary Lineker, uh, who they've chosen out as being they're unhappy with how outspoken he is about Mm. Qatar's human rights record and its approach to dealing with minorities. And even though the BBC aren't necessarily the only people that are doing that, or Gary Lineker isn't the only person doing it, because the BBC is one of FIFA's most long-standing, most reliable and most lucrative partners for mm-hmm. the broadcasting of tournaments like this, um, the, the, the Qataris are very unhappy about the amount of focus that they're getting, which the BBC say is no different to many others. For example, the BBC decided not to broadcast the opening ceremony uh, mm-hmm. before the first game. And they said nothing new. We didn't do it in Russia either. But the Qataris felt very slighted that what was supposed to be their, albeit a slightly choreographed, orchestrated way of displaying their true values of what they're mm-hmm. about, that the BBC chose not to air that and instead to have a discussion about their record of minorities. Yeah, and in terms mm-hmm. of that true record uh, and all of that, Miguel had this to say to us about what he's experienced about life for migrant workers in Qatar. I suppose in terms of what you experience, it depends where you go um, and what you want to do. There are some there are some limitations, uh, and actually, even in terms of the migrant workers, uh, before the tournament, uh, it was reported in um, it, it, it was reported that a government circular had w- had went round to actually 
send migrant workers essentially back home to cease construction and projects so they'd be they'd be less visible. But of course, this goes beyond construction. It's 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 embedded into the entire state. And and, and this is why it's kind of inescapable because I mean, when I walk out, we're we're not staying in a hotel right now. We're staying in a rented house. But I, when, I, when I walk out the door, it's in one of those compounds. We've got two, two of the security lads there. And sometimes, I mean, I'd leave the I'd leave the, um, leave the house at a certain time, but come back well over eight hours later, and they're still there. And I'm like, okay, that's that's quite a basic thing. But it does point to one of the issues, which has repeatedly come up. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying the, these workers have necessarily suffered that specifically, but where... Um, Often, one of the one of the most common complaints about workers have to work 12, 12 hours a day every day for months on end with, with, no, with no day off. Um, and, and I suppose just the, the the point more so is the way it's not just about construction. It's that every element of the day there is a migrant worker here who caters to your need in some way. Even even there, I went to the um, I had to go to the supermarket earlier, and. <laughs> There was a woman essentially clicking her fingers at migrant workers to, to to fill up her back. Um it's and and this is what I'm talking about, all this being normalized, and how when you kind of look at it in that way, it becomes quite unsettling. It's immoral, it's demeaning. Um as regards, I suppose, to come back to your question in terms of kind of what you can experience, journalists aren't allowed, or, or one of the things you had to sign to come into Qatar was you're not allowed to film in certain areas like public uh, or uh, government property or uh, labor camps. Um, but the, the the point being really is you can't really escape. Even if you just choose to go to the football, you can't escape this. Um, and like, so our, I mean, we, we've tried to kind of make a point of not just doing the football, but covering wider issues. But even from that, like, I mean, I suppose a basic football day we find um, you get up in the morning. We we're actually staying quite close to the main media center, which is in the National Convention Center here in Qatar, which they've made into this airport size thing that caters to every media need. There's genuinely everything there. Um, it's it, it is one of the more impressive things I have to say about the infrastructure, something that hasn't been done at a World Cup. But again, and, and this is why I've noticed some of the debate about Qatar. Like some people say to us, well, you're not pointing out any of the positive elements, but I mean, the reality is that the positive elements are irrelevant because it's all shaped and framed and <laughs> by, by, by this much weightier moral issue. One person who has attracted a lot of attention for what he has said during this World Cup, as he always does, is Roy Keane. Zara, Roy Keane is now the <laughs> national enemy of Brazil. Can you guess why? I have no idea. No idea. He criticised the dancing. So Brazil... I lo- sorry, I saw the dance. I love the dancing. Dancing is absolutely. I saw the dancing, dancing and I, I'm a big fan of the dancing. I think the dancing is absolutely fantastic. So Brazil beat South Korea, the Republic of Korea. I've seen nothing from the World Cup, but I've seen the dancing. <laughs> That's all you need to see. <laughs> Listen, it's very entertaining. It's past the zeitgeist test if you've seen the dancing. I bar- I, can I be honest? I barely know the World Cup was on. That's how removed I am from this. Isn't that Pretty a bit, that's but that, a bit that's, mad That though, does say it? something about all this. Like, I'm so mm. far removed from it. I forget mm. until I see all of you gathering around the telly in the newsroom that the World Cup is even on, actually. It's really bringing people together. Oh, Roy, yeah, right. Driving Roy Keane and Brazil apart, though. Roy Keane, so he criticised Brazil danced for every one of their goals, the four goals they scored against the Republic of Korea, as is their want. Hmm. People will remember players like Ronaldinho and Bebeto dancing. Yeah, we all remember, dancing. Like, remember Bebeto yeah. in the 94 after his baby had been rock born. The the rock in the Cradle thing. Yeah. I did see somebody did like a TikTok mishmash of a lot of footballers dancing. Yeah. I guess it was brilliant. I thought mm. it was great. It's, it's not a problem. But anyway, the people somehow 
well, somehow social media has brought Roy Keane's rant in which he sort of said it was disrespectful, uh, that they were doing a jig and that he hasn't seen as much uh, dancing since Strictly. Uh, <laughs> they brought all this to the attention of the people in Brazil. Well, showing up with paddles, giving them an point on the disrespect? Basically, it's not showing respect to the opposition, but I think that's well, nonsense. It, if you're clobbering the opposition... Uh, like, at, at the, at being at the mercy of criticising Roy Keane if, in, the, in a public If you're forum. clobbering the opposition like Brazil definitely. were, I think you're, you're, like, you're already disrespecting them by knocking the pants off them on the pitch anyway. So oh, he thinks, the it's, what, like, he thinks it's like gloating. Like, he thinks it's quite Yes. Which is nonsense, but look. I think it's kind of nice, to be honest. Like, you're at the World Cup. You've just scored a goal. Like, Celebrate. is there ever, like, you know, is there ever more of a peak moment where you're going to want to, like, dance with Absolutely joy? Absolutely not, yeah. No. You're dead right. But anyway, oh, people in Brazil, including a, a leading film producer, said F. Roy Keane. Um, <laughs> he hasn't a clue what he's talking about. Wow. Effectively, wow. everybody in Brazil, including, like, sports stars, you know, cultural people, have come out and hammered Roy Keane. Because, actually, it's actually quite interesting. We talked before, like, about Brazil and the politics there, you know, Bolsonaro has been voted out. Yeah. Hard right thing, how divided Brazil is, and you've got these ongoing protests. The football team is probably one of the few things which is keeping Brazil together. Mm. And you have Neymar, the star of the team, very close to Bolsonaro. And then you have Richarlison, who's probably been the star for them in this tournament. Very left-wing, very pro-science at the time. It was very difficult to be mm. like that in Brazil. Mm. Dancing together after scoring goals. Ah, Pretty good. Yeah, kind of nice. But it's what football's supposed to do is bring people together. And Roy Keane's rocking the boat. Well, it's brought Brazil together and now being entirely on Team McCarthy for Saipanich. <laughs> <laughs> one thing, um, one issue we have covered in the podcast uh, is Iran. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people have seen headlines over the weekend that we quickly wanted to address. Uh, the headlines effectively said that the morality police is being disbanded. Mm. Now, we, as far as we know, that is not the case. Mm. That this has been a bit of a PR stunt by the regime in Tehran. In fact, uh, some leading news agencies in Iran have said that actually morality police patrols have increased uh, uh, since oh. this news came up over the weekend. Uh, one uh, report actually saying that increase in patrols, geographically there's actually been an increase in protests, uh, even in ultra-conservative areas. Um, the news agency Tasnim reported that an amusement park at a Tehran shopping centre was closed by the judiciary wow. because the operators of this amusement park we're not wearing the hijab properly. Hundreds of people now, though, though uh, are now known to have died in the clampdown. And despite the fact that it seems that the regime is playing for international headlines and successfully, mm. Mm. judging yeah. that everybody around the world was saying, oh, the, the morality police is gone. Yeah. Doesn't seem to be the case. The more important thing, I think, is even not so much that the morality police may or may not be active so much as the laws that they were enforcing are still there. And a lot of people are saying, in the, even in the aftermath on Sunday, doesn't matter whether the police are inactive or stood down or whatever, the codes that they're enforcing remain in force. Yeah. So it doesn't matter who's doing them. It's the codes themselves, not the institutions that they're protesting against. The regime as well, sort of actually not commenting on those, uh, the, the the sort of the report which initially led to this. So, I mean, you have to take their silence as the fact that this isn't being acted on. They have no uh, instinct to try and put this away whatsoever. There is a new documentary coming out on Netflix this week. <laughs> it is about the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Richard, tell us Richard. what you really think about the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, because I, you sound so impassioned about them. I prefer not to speak. If I speak, <laughs> I will be in big trouble. The Mourinho meme would pop and up that early. I don't want to be in trouble. But anyway, no, Harry and Meghan, new documentary on Netflix. And it's, you know, as anything does, it goes super viral. Yeah. Why is this controversial, Zara? Oh, God. How long do we have? <laughs> How long do we have? Right, we've got about six minutes. Tell us okay, why is it controversial? Well, look, right, there's two ways of looking at it. You could say that we already heard Harry and Meghan's story because they spoke to Oprah, was it last year? Mm. I remember, remember the night that came out, 
oh my gosh, like trying to get it streamed online. It was like mm. edge of the seat stuff. Like, and there was yeah. some really shocking revelations in that, by the way. Really and so, yes. and it was pretty. Like, I mean, it was it was really bad. Like, there was a lot of stuff in it. Um, I suppose <laughs> Harry Megan. Yeah. He has a book out called Spare. Megan has done a 12-part podcast series for Spotify called Archetypes, which I've listened to all episodes and I actually think it's quite good. good. It's yeah. very good, I actually. actually listened to all of them. I really liked yeah. it. It was profoundly Did you listen to it as well? No, I didn't. I know someone who did and who found it Your very wife. cool. <laughs> no comment. No comment. <laughs> um, I think Archetypes is quite good, actually. I enjoyed it. Um, I mean, yeah. So, look... I don't even know where to go with this because I feel like there's so much to be said about it. There's so much to be said. Look, what I would say is that, you know, Harry's father is now the king, right? The queen is dead, obviously. And I think the one thing that was kind of maybe keeping that family together was the fact that everyone had this great love and respect for the queen. Now that she's gone, I feel like the gloves are coming off. Uh, There's definitely going to be some bombshell revelations in this. There's no doubt that Harry and Meghan had um, a really difficult time within the royal family. But in terms of like how they've handled themselves since they left, like there's a lot of questions over the fact they've appealed for privacy on so many occasions. And yet here they are very Mm -hmm. much not being private. This is a six part documentary series. The first three episodes will drop uh, Thursday, the 8th of December, the second three, the following Thursday. Oh, I thought it was a two-part thing. So it's actually it's six, six episodes. It's, it's, ah, it's, it's, it's like Stranger Things where they've just done a two-part drop. I'm fully yeah. watching all six but, of them. Like, but it, I try so much to, to give these people the time of day. But, and I actually quite like them in comparison to other, you know... <laughs> Other, other royals, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But seriously, six. Like, it, but the thing is, is it ne- is it really necessary? And this is part of why maybe Harry and Meghan get such a bad rap because if they're portrayed as being so publicity hungry, that oh, you yeah. moved to America to get away from publicity, and now you're doing this. That even like a documentary series, like it's perfectly tenable and plausible to have all six episodes just drop in one go. So, like, even is, is there argument? I would say it's Netflix. I would say that's more of a Netflix thing than a Harry and Meghan thing, though. In fairness, because like, even they dropped the trailer was it like last week when like Kate and William were in the states mm. and they were there for like you know an awards. Yeah. Well, but I know, but that, like that's that's probably more. Than I don't Netflix know if you saw the editing well. of that, but there's like a shot of Kate looking quite like like annoyed and the shot is and there's a kind of a sound effect that goes with it and it's the editing of the trailer was very specific to indicate actually, that's, that's, that's not the next a point I just want Britain to bring up between them the trailer yeah like you can have all the sympathy in the world for Harry and Meghan and there are plenty of reasons to have lots of sympathy yeah. for them if you're going to do this documentary thing the promotional material for the documentary should be pretty truthful as opposed to yeah. the odd misleading edits and stuff like that. So this is in light of the trailer which dropped a couple of days ago in which some of the the uh, what are portrayed as paparazzi shots are either staged pool photographs that yep. they knew they were posing mm. for or in one instance uh, there's a media scrum of, of paparazzi which is actually people arriving for a court case involving Katie Price, Katie Price. and has nothing to do with Harry and Meghan at all. Yeah, I mean, what, are they, what are the group not, chat listeners? Yeah, so look, is. the group chat listeners are absolutely vexed and, and mixed responses on this. Over 100 replies to the question box last night yeah. on this. Um, I sent in 89 of those <laughs> <laughs> Richard Chambers says uh, Eileen says we'll totally watch it it's replacing the Kardashians I'm not sure the royals would want to replace the Kardashians but anyway. uh, Annie says I know it's bad but I cannot wait I just love all the drama of it uh, Sarah says can't wait to have my Thursday morning appointments blocked off to watch it I love oh, that. Clear the calendar. <laughs> two Thursdays uh, who else is there Caroline says I'm definitely going to watch it Sue says thought they wanted privacy this isn't very private um, who else have we got like there's so many guys I'll um, ask at one thing. One, the the yeah. one point I actually really do want to make about this is that this does come at a time of actual distinct challenge for the institution oh, of the royal family. There was yeah. that thing only last week. They, there's, I mean, there's been long-standing allegations of racism in the royal court, and especially when you talk about you know Meghan Markle and how the media and how you know courtiers effectively treated her. Uh, those claims have probably given a lot more credence over the last week, given how 
Lady Susan Hussey effectively mm. was given the boot for how she repeatedly asked Ngozi Fulani, who is a charity boss yeah. in the UK, where she was really from, mm-hmm. effectively to the point of a near interrogation. Yeah. That does not reflect well, that does not reflect of a healthy institution. No, and I think that's going to be something that's going to come up in this documentary. Like, I think it's 100% yeah. something that's going to be uh, addressed in the next six episodes. So look, uh, just a few more responses from our, our listeners. Someone else said, it's appalling. They are such a contradiction trying to fight tabloids with tabloid fodder. don't know if that's probably... Uh, no, I, th- I think there's actually something to that because there's a bit of me like, yes, like what was said in the Oprah interview was, was really significant. Mm. But it seems now they are forever determined that they need to get their side of the story out. And it seems like in that I there's there's sympathy for that. But it seems like they are forever doing these big media events to deal with the fallout from their previous media events. Like, had they not done Oprah, would it have kickstarted this tornado of stuff? They were always doing this, weren't they, when they did Oprah? I think they had signed this contract with Netflix. Because it, like, it seems the, like they're they're trying to do a lot of things to put the line under other things that they've done. I do think. Um, well, I don't know, but I, I would suspect that I don't know if this is. I would suspect that this might be the last time they, you know, tell their story. Like, this is six episodes. Except for the book, except for the book as well. <laughs> 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 this the book is the second well. last time they tell their story. <laughs> yeah. Look, what, what's your plan for watching it, Zara? Oh, I'll 100 percent watch it. What's your plan for it? Oh, the minute it's out, like I'm watching. I'm tomorrow I'm watching it there you go was he booked off especially oh, I wouldn't say booked off especially it's just, it's just, just a happy coincidence if Zara's also missing next Thursday for the other three episodes I can guarantee know. you that I will have be into that group chat tomorrow persecuting both of you with all my, my takes on it so well if you if, if you do watch the Netflix Royals Sussexes or whatever they're, they're calling it uh, documentary do let us know your thoughts uh, that's all we have time for this week uh, Gavin, Sarah, thanks thank for you so much thank as you. ever for a lovely episode. A lovely of episode this week. <laughs> and we'll be back next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.